welcome to this special edition of the Real DNA podcast, where we will be talking about the Roland Garros and how much the former legends and past champions and also current players were missing not being in Paris during the original dates of the tournament and also what their favorite spots in Paris are, how much they are looking forward once the game resumes and also how they've been able to get through the coronavirus and some of the things that has helped them personally to deal with it all. So don't go away because a lot of exciting things are coming up your way. Christy, thank you so much for joining us. You know for how many reasons I admire you so much, not only for your tennis, but how well you've been doing over the years in your TV career. And I try to follow you in my baby uh, little steps. So this is a huge honor personally for me to have you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I, as I told you before, you carved out a beautiful niche for yourself and you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you, Chrissy. Okay, let's go straight to Roland Garros because with you, I don't even know where to start. I don't. <laughs> you know, like we talk about Rafa and how he feels when he comes to the side and, you know, winning it for 12 times. Well, how does it feel winning it for seven times? Like, do you have a, do you feel like you're actually flying around the tournament when you get there? I, you know, it just, it's like a second home to me. You know, it, it, it was um, my favorite surface, you know, re actually green clay. I was brought up on it and um, I had most of my success in tennis at Roland Garros because, I mean, the surface totally suited my game as far as being patient and ground strokes and consistent. Um, so I really, I do have great memories and that, you know, now when I watch the women, you know, the, the tennis is a lot faster. The balls are faster. The courts are faster. The equipment is different. And now it's, it's more of an aggressive game. So I love to see, you know, the, the changes. And I'm always curious, you know, when we do a pick for the French open, there's no obvious choice. Is there? I mean, it's one of 15 different people. So that's why the French Open makes it probably the most interesting tournament because there's, there's no predictability. Why do you think that is? That we are more certain on grass or hard courts to pick our choices, but not on clay in women's tennis? I think that, well, I think first of all, um, the players are more well-rounded players and they're not specifically um, styles for like when I came on the scene, you knew Billie Jean was for grass and you knew that Chris Everett was great for clay. And, and, and now the players um, can play on anything, which was evident with Barty winning the French Open. You would, I wouldn't have put her on my top 20 to win, you know, and she did, which was awesome. But I think that because the courts have quickened up, they're, they're very, um, I mean, it favors the, the aggressive players, it favors the passive players, the more consistent players. and um, you know, that's it. I th I, but I think generally the, the standard of tennis has improved in the women's game. And I think that they're hitting the ball really hard, but they're also very consistent. So they're all, they're good all around players. Being so dominant and winning the seven titles, what was the main ingredients? Do you feel like you packed on your trip to Paris more than anyone? Was it the patience? Was it the endurance, the strength? I think, you know, I, I had an, it was the first Grand Slam title that I won and it was the last Grand Slam title that I won so within those 18 years a lot changed in my game and in, in the, the game of tennis um, I think in the beginning when I went out there most of the women again three of the Grand Slams were on grass 
So most of the women played serve and volley. So I just felt in the beginning, if I can get like five balls in the court, <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I'm going to force them into making errors at some point. So in the beginning, it was all about consistency and patience, you know, and then when power started coming into the game, when Martina started playing better, Steffi, Monica, it was more like a chess match. You know, it was more like um, we had to become better athletes. So you had to move well. And you also um, had to have good placement on your shots. You had to know how to open up the court. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, the rallies are longer and you can't pull the trigger on the second or third shot like you can on a grass court or even a hard court. You have to, to work the point and open up the, open up the court and then go for your, for your winner. And I think that I was given a little more time on the clay to set up my shots and to go for my placement. So I think that's why it suited my game the best. Chrissy, you said it was your first slam and the last slam that you yeah. won. Obviously, there were a lot of years in between. Please explain me, because for me, it's impossible to understand champions like you. How do you keep your mind so open to be adjusting to the different styles that were coming your way? Because you know that something's been working and you've been winning slams like that and be able yeah. to yet still have the open mind. That's what we see with Roger, Rafa, Novak. That right. You guys keep improving even though you are dominating. Well, it wasn't easy for me. <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, champions are stubborn. Like you said, they feel like if they've been number one in the world or if they're winning most of the time, they're going to stick with that winning game. But there's a time, two times, one time when I lost to Tracy Austin five times in a row, I had to start to play out of the box and I had to start. That's when I started to become more aggressive and controlling the point better. Uh, and the other time was with Martina, you know, I lost her 13 times in a row over a period of two and a half years. And I played the same way. Every time I walked on the court, I played my baseline game. And my coach, Dennis Rawlson, kept saying, you know, go into the net, hit your backhand and approach and go into the net, see what happens. And I would be, no, 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 no. Well, the 14th time I did that, <laughs> you know, and then I, I, and I won the match. So um, I realized that, you know, I should be open-minded and I should um, adapt better than I had because really, why did I wait two and a half years to, to try to change or tweak my game a little bit? It, that showed that I was stubborn. Well, but that stubbornness also brought you those seven titles. If you can pick one of those, which one was the most special one? I know it's hard to pick, but try. <laughs> no, eight, 85, 85 um, when I beat Martina. Um, and it was a three-set match. She was seated number one. I was seated number two. Again, I had lost to her 13 times in a row. Then I beat her one time earlier that year, but she'd beat me a couple times later. And um, I hadn't beaten her in a Grand Slam in a few years, and everybody counted me out. I think that was the most satisfying one because nobody picked me to win that match because Martina was so dominant. She was such a great athlete, and she was starting to really get the hang on clay. So when I beat her in that seesaw match, um, I think at that point I was, what, 30 years old? And I was kind of at the end of my career. And again, everybody had counted me out. And I, and I feel like that revived me to play another three or four years after that win. Um, but also, and I'm sure you agree, as you get older, the wins become more precious and more special because you've gone through adversity. You have, you're more emotional. You know, you're more of a, complete person and sometimes you're a little robotic 
in the early years when you just go out there and you play tennis and, and, you know, you don't have those emotional feelings. So I think, um, 85, when I beat her, that was the special one. And then I beat her the next year, 86, which was, which was special too. So it is ironic that I ended my, my grand slam, you know, um, uh, tournaments that I ended up my career winning two French opens at the end. That's, that's ironic because, you know, I was brought up on clay. When you come to Paris, what do you like to do most that brings you all those wonderful moments? Do you like to go back to the places where you celebrated your wins or what, what are the things you enjoyed to do? Yeah. No, first of all, first of all, these wins were like 35 years ago. Okay. We have to remember that 40 years ago, you know, I don't even know if these restaurants or these, Oh, you know, come on. I don't even know if they're still there. Um, I do, you know, I, when I go back, I eat so much bread. I have so many croissants for breakfast. I have two for breakfast. Then I have a baguette for lunch, a, usually a ham and cheese baguette. Then I have like rolls for dinner. It's amazing how much bread that I eat over there or people eat and they don't gain weight. So I'm thinking they're putting some, special ingredients in their bread. So I love the food. I really do. And I love, um, you know, I love the shopping. I mean, I love going on, I can't remember St. Honoré or whatever streets, you know, the designer shops are. I love the shopping. Um, and, and I'm a tourist still. I go to the Eiffel Tower every year and um, I go to the Louvre every year and I'm just like a little tourist for the 30th time. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic city. It really is. It's so different than Boca Raton, Florida. So I really look forward to it. And I'm so, I'm so glad that I've been able to work for Eurosport the last few years because um, ESPN doesn't do the French. So my normal team's not over there. Uh, when you go back to Paris, do you, obviously with the tournament, it's been so much change and it's been becoming more and more incredible as far as the city do you see changes since you start to go there to now or the fashion stays the same the food obviously stays the same do you feel in paris in paris yes in the city no i i think that's the beauty of it is that the buildings are so old and um it just they're so classic and they're so um i mean you don't have that in, in, in America. America is a new country. You know, we're only a couple hundred years old and, and any place in Europe, any big city, you just, as an American, my eyes are wide open when I go into museums and, mm. and, you know, I go to, I go sightseeing and, and you no, know, I think Paris is beautiful the way it is. I think um, the weather is always a delight and I love, it's the one grand slam. I love to watch the juniors too. You know, I love to see what's going on in the future who um because usually the ju the juniors the french open um the players that do well they're usually translate that translates into success on the pro tour so i like that um but uh no i just um i just have some really um warm memories of it and and i'm i'm sorry that we're not playing it now but and i'm keeping my fingers crossed for September because, you know, that would be wonderful to, to still go over there. That's actually a very good point you make that uh, most of the French Open champions, they do become 
very good players. That with other slams, maybe it's not the case, but French Open, right. if you win the juniors, yeah, yeah. the chances are. I, I think it's a good foundation for footwork, you know, playing on clay courts. And unlike like grass, I, actually a lot of the juniors don't play junior Wimbledon for some reason um, because they're not maybe comfortable on the grass. They only get to play on it one time a year. But I think the red clay, it really, um, it's a great foundation for learning footwork, for, for technique, for patience. Mentally, it's a grind, and it's, and it's good to challenge the juniors mentally. It's, it, you've got to be a good mover on the court. And I think that can translate well to a hard court. You know, um, those two surfaces, you know, you, can, you, you have to be solid. You have to be solid, and you have to be solid to be a champion. It's great to be a shot maker and be flashy and hit a lot of winners, but at the end of the day, you've got to also make very few errors, and that's where you can learn that on the red clay courts. Would you say is the best base for to develop as a player? Because here for us, for Europeans, we don't actually really have any other choice because we hardly have any hard courts or grass courts. Right. So red clay is what we are stuck to since we are very little. Um, Talked about it with Jim Courier as well, and he, he agreed, like, grow up on clay. Probably that's where you develop the most. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. Um, and a lot, like, Martina grew up in red clay, you know? <laughs> I mean, a lot of Steffi Groff. I mean, uh, uh, Monica. I mean, a lot of the, the um, former number ones have brought up on clay. And, and again, it's, it's, it's not only good for footwork, but it's good for moving. It's, it's good for variety of shots i mean you just you can throw a ball up in the air you can drop shot you can slice you can hit all kinds of shots that are very effective and you have to learn on clay how to be how to play defense as well as offense it's not only offense it's defense too and um you know and how to construct a point and how to how to open up the court and how to be patient mentally it, it like i said it, it it makes you tougher mentally so um for sure i think it's it's a great foundation and thank god you know i was brought up on clay in florida that that really helped me on on every surface really talking about mental toughness in these times where there's so much uncertainty the players don't know what they're working towards to there are no certain goals at the moment what do you keep telling your players and what would be your advice in general, not only to athletes, how to get uh, through these difficult times? Well, as far as, as their career, <clears throat> as far as their tennis playing and their fitness, I think the last three months, there's no excuse not to have gotten into better shape. I mean, that's the one thing that tennis players should have been working on. Um, number one, um, you know, getting into better shape, both cardiovascularly and strength-wise, with weight training, stretching, getting more flexible. Um, you know, I think that those, those things you don't need a tennis racket to do. Um, now we are, I mean, at my, at the Everett Academy, we opened up three weeks ago. So tennis is such a natural, um, safe distance sport. So it's, you can be on, you can have two players playing singles. You can have a coach with a mask on. You know, everybody's wiping off and, you know, and, and keeping their own can of tennis balls, only handling their own, their own can of tennis balls. It's a sure winner for a sport to 
to play, um, you know, when this pandemic is still going on. Um, but anyway, I think that the players, the other thing is they, they, the last three months, they can rest all of their ailments. I mean, they're always getting injured. Any surgeries that you need, any, any tendonitis that you have, any pulled muscles, you know, you have months and weeks and months to get physio, to get trained, go to a trainer and get some physio and um, get some stim and work on that. So, so basically when everybody comes back, their bodies should be healthy, right? And they should be fitter. And you know, they're going to be more eager and more excited to play. Do you think this period of time, it's helping Roger, Rafa, Novak, Serena, the guys that have been around for so long, uh, in a way that they're going to come back, be more fresher, or that maybe they start to realize, you know what, I'm okay without tennis. How do you think it's going to affect them? <laughs> You're right. It can work either way. It can work either way. Um, but I would think, I have a sneaky suspicion that I think that the players that have been around a long time, like you mentioned, especially Serena, Roger, you know, Rafa, I think that they're going to dive right into it. And I think that they're doing all they can right now. They're appreciating that they can be with their family. They're appreciating that they can rest their bodies, but they also, they also know that time is not on their side and they don't have a lot of time left. So, you know what, why not just go into it for another year or two and just give it all you've got. So I think in that respect, it will favor those players. I feel bad for, for Novak. He had the momentum. Everyone's saying, is he going to win a Grand Slam? Is he going to win four in a row? He was playing awesome tennis. And then all of a sudden, you know, that, that momentum, um, that'll be interesting. He'll be an interesting story to see if he can get that momentum back. I was thinking the same, like mentally to be able to accept that. Oh, I can't even imagine. But it's, yeah, you're right. It's, it almost feels like they will come back fresher. And maybe thanks to this, they will play even longer than what we might have thought because their bodies will be fresh. Yep, it's, it's tough to call on that one. Yeah, it really is. Because I thought for a minute, I thought, I wonder if Serena is just going to love being a mother so much that maybe she won't want to come back. But with all the Instagrams that I see, um, you know, she's, she's, she's training and she looks fit. And, and, I think, but I, and I think if, you know, let me tell you, my advice to those players is milk it as long as you can. Because once you leave the game, you're never going to get it back. So if you are healthy and you still have that desire to play, you know, prolong it as long as you can and then get out of the game. Do we want to see tennis played without the crowds? I don't think we have any choice at this, this time. I, I think that a lot of players thrive on the atmosphere of a crowd. Mm -hmm. And they love the excitement and they love – um, the cheers and I mean it gets the adrenaline going doesn't it and s makes you play better a lot and there are some players that it probably won't matter you know it depends on the temperament I think and the personality of the player the atmosphere won't be the same but you know we can't have everything you know we can't we're it's a different it's a different look right now in sports and um, I think if we want to hold grand slams this year and if we want people to make money, and I'm not talking players, I'm talking everybody, I'm talking TV, I'm talking people that work at the tournaments, I'm, you know, the staff there, players as well. But if we want everyone to make some money and, um, you know, then we've got to have, we've got to have it. And 
and I think that people will still watch it on TV. You know, I think that people will still be interested. I'm just hoping that the players over in Europe want to come over because the U S open is still planning on having the U S open, the USTA is still planning on. And I hope that the, you still have to have the player support. So I'm hoping that they will, um, not if listen they might have to come over and be quarantined for two weeks before right and they might have to go home and be and then what what happens there's two weeks between the u.s open and the french does that mean they have to go to france and be quarantined i mean i don't know it's yeah, there's so many <laughs> options <laughs> I, know. I know i think that this you know it's it's week to week but um i, I think if you look at the big picture it, it's a, it's really a terrible thing that's happening in the world and it's and i mean you've got to think about health first and safety first yeah totally uh actually i had guga the other day on the show and he said something really amazing about how how blessed and lucky we are being tennis players we are one of a very few in billions around the world and um just the fact that we are tennis players it's 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 such a privilege and these are the times to really appreciate it and realize it, it. Yeah, you're right. And and appreciate the fact that our sport might be one of the first ones to come back yeah. because of the so social distancing and we're not on a team where we're rubbing shoulders with everybody yeah. and mm -hmm. it's a safe sport. So we can get some tennis played this year. Yes. Chrissy, uh, I know you are super busy with your academy, with the other TV commitments. Totally last question. And I know it's going yeah. to be maybe a selfish one, but as I mentioned at the beginning, you've done such an incredible job with your TV career. If you can compare those two, because not too many people believe me, how hard is the TV one as well? Can you please confirm and explain? Um, yeah, I, I well, I definitely play tennis better than I talk. Let's put it that way. Um, wh where it was hard for me, and I don't know how it was for you, but where it was hard for me was, and, and I started working for NBC like 30, 40 years ago. When I played tennis, I didn't really think that much. I just played by instinct. So then I had to get on TV and articulate and break down everybody's game. And I, and I, and I really had a problem with that. And I didn't say much. I was awful. It wasn't until I, I had the tennis academy and I started having kids coming in and out. And I really learned a lot from our coaches the last 20 years. And I started to learn about tennis um, that it's getting a little bit better. But um, I, I tell you what, it is tough. And the hours are tough. I mean, we have 12-hour days. And a lot of the time, we're sitting around. And then we say, OK, you've got to go commentate this match. And it's like, oh, where are my notes? Where are my notes? Research, research, you know. So it it is tough, but you know what? It's there's no greater job after tennis, is there? No, and it really helps that we're still we still get to go to Grand Slams, and we still get to to experience um, tennis played at this level. So I feel very fortunate. I'm so glad you confirmed my theory because I keep saying commentating <laughs> match is so much harder than playing because, like you said, you have yeah. to be hundred percent there because otherwise everyone will notice, right? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you missed it. Oh, you missed that one, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. You know, you, I mean, you have to be, you're right. You have to be focused. You have to use some of your tools that you had in tennis and bring them into the commentating booth. And I think we all kind of do that pretty well. Well, you are, you are the one that is doing it at the best. And uh, as I said many times, you are my example. And uh, 
Thank you, Chrissy. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I know you got to run. Um, I hope to see you very soon, either in Paris or New York. And let's just hope that we get to see some live tennis uh, shortly. And I can't wait to thank you in person for this. And, oh, thank uh, you. Good luck with no. the Academy. Hope it all starts to go back to normal and stay safe, healthy, and uh, chat to you sometime very soon. Oh, you're the best. Stay healthy, okay, Daniela? Stay healthy, the most thank important you, thing. Thank you. Hi there. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Real DNA podcast. Don't forget to subscribe either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 